And if you would, go to take your Bibles, let's turn to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter number 8. The Gospel of Mark chapter number 8. And we'll read just a few verses here this morning, and this will be our text for today, verse number 22, uh, down to verse number 28. Verse number 22, down to verse number 28. And the Bible says, And he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, and led him out of town. And when he had spit on his eyes, and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. After that he put his hands again upon his eyes, and made him look up. And he was restored, and saw every man clearly. And he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town, nor tell it to anyone, or tell it to any in the town. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord. And God, I do pray for your blessing upon, uh, Lord, the preaching of your word this morning. I pray, God, for strength and for wisdom. And, uh, Lord, just to preaching your word, I pray, God, you would help me to say, Lord, all you'd have me to say, Lord, nothing more and nothing less. God, I pray, Father, you just give me liberty in, in preaching and uh, clarity in thought and in words and I ask, Lord, that the Spirit of God would have free course within our hearts and lives, and or that we'd come before your word uh, as students, that we'd come before your word with humility, Lord, just, uh, Lord, just uh, hungry uh, for, the, for the truth of your word. Father God, I pray you bless the preaching now. God, be glorified in it, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here in Mark chapter number 7, Mark chapter number 8, over the past, we've been dealing with these uh, passages, these verses over the past couple of weeks. And one of the things that we've seen and we've took note of is the fact that we're beginning to see a shift in the ministry of Christ. All right, for, again, much time, again, for a little bit over a year, Jesus Christ spent time in the region of Galilee. Let me put a map up on the screen and show you once again, again, this region right here, Capernaum, Cana, Nazareth, Located right by the Sea of Galilee, this is where Christ has spent uh, the bulk of his ministry up to this point. He has done many miracles, and he has healed many that are sick. Uh, he has given much teaching. Uh, he has given much light to the region of Galilee. But over the past couple of weeks, we have seen a shift away from Galilee, uh, where Christ really is not going to go back and spend much time in Galilee at all. It's going to be a place where he, he, he avoids rather than pursues after, rather than, a, again, stays in over long periods of time. And he goes beyond Galilee, beyond Jewish territory, and he goes into Gentile territory. We saw him go up to Tyre and Sidon. We saw him come over to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, to Decapolis. And again, see, we saw the healings that he did there. And again, we see here a foreshadowing of what is to come. Again, the gospel, the, the, the Great Commission, this, this extension of the gospel to both the Jews and Gentiles, again, Christ is preparing his disciples for uh, this, this taking of the gospel beyond Jerusalem and taking it to the uttermost parts of the earth. Again, he is reminding them that he has come to die for the sins of all men. Again, he has come to die for the sins not just of the Jew, but also of the Gentile. He has come at the, as the bread of life, not just for the Jews, but also for those who are non-Jewish, the Gentiles. And in our text today, we find Christ coming to the town of Bethsaida. If you look here, and I'll circle it right there, you see Bethsaida, you see the little black dot. Again, we see it's located on the, 
again, northeastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And this is where the miracle we see in today's text occurs. Again, this is not the first time Jesus has been in Bethsaida. Christ has been here before. He has done miracles in Bethsaida. Uh, including one of his greatest miracles, and that is the feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus took just a few loaves and fish, and he fed a multitude of 5,000 men. Again, plus, if you include the women and children, again, upwards of a crowd of 15 to 20,000 people, with just, again, a handful of, of, of loaves of bread and also a few fish. Again, Christ multiplied those where there was food left over, and everybody ate till they were full. All right, that is a miracle of God. Jesus did this miracle in the town of Bethsaida. And here in this section, in, in Mark chapter 7 and Mark chapter 8, we find that there's two miracles that are recorded uh, that are found exclusively in the Gospel of Mark. Again, you won't find these in Matthew or other Gospel records. And that is the healing of, of the deaf, dumb man that we looked at uh, previously back in chapter 7. But also, um, again, we have the healing of the blind man. And this is found exclusively in, in the Gospel of Mark, and that's the, the, that's the, uh, in, in the passage we're going to be taking a look at today. And all these miracles that we've seen, all the miracle, the miracle we're going to take a look at today, again, all these are further proof that Jesus is who he claims to be. That he is the Messiah. That he is God in the flesh. Again, that he is, again, the Son of God. Again, that he is the one that the Old Testament prophesied about in many places. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. And we've looked at this text before, but I want to come back here just briefly. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus, remember, visited his hometown of Nazareth. And when Jesus came to Nazareth, he went into the synagogue. He took the, again, he took the scroll that was there and he came, he turned to the book of Isaiah. And as he began to read from Isaiah, Again, he, he read the prophecies regarding the Messiah, and then he claimed that those, that those prophecies applied to him. And he, and he closed the book, again, and left. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18 through 21, the Bible says, and remember here that Jesus is in Nazareth. I'll start in verse number 16, actually. The Bible says, And when he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And notice what Jesus said. And he began to say to them, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. So in other words, Jesus is saying what Isaiah prophesied. The one who would come and heal the brokenhearted. The one who would come and who would give sight to the blind. The one who would come and preach the gospel to the poor. The one who would come and preach deliverance to the captives. The one who would come and set at liberty them that are bruised. Again, I am he. Again, I am the one that, that, is, again, that, that those verses speak about. Again, this scripture has been fulfilled in your ears today. And in our text today, turn back to Mark 8, we find again, Jesus doing one of those things that was prophesied about him. And that is restoring sight to the blind. 
And we see that as you read the Gospels, there were there was more than just one occasion. There were multiple occasions where Jesus restored sight to the blind. This is not the only occasion, uh, but this is one that Mark records that none of the other Gospel writers record. So let's consider, uh, again, this, this miracle before us. Beginning with verse number 22, we find, again, a man in a desperate condition. A man in a desperate condition. Take a look at verse 22. The Bible says, And he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. Now, this is very familiar with another instance we saw previous to, or prior to this uh, with, again, the man that was deaf. Again, if you remember back to that instance, it was, uh, again, this man who would often be one who would be overlooked in his society. We see that he had friends who cared about him and who were willing to bring him to the only one that could help him. Again, we saw that back in Mark chapter number 7. Well, here in Mark chapter number 8, we see the same thing. Again, we see that this is a blind man. This is the man who, who because of his condition, would have been ostracized by society. Again, he would have been looked down upon by others. Again, many wrongly presumed that, again, somebody who had a physical disability must have been under the curse of God. Again, they, they, they mistreated these people oftentimes. Um, and, and usually a blind person would, uh, would, would suffer from a life of poverty. Again, they, they couldn't get a job. They couldn't get a work. It'd be a very lonely life. It'd be a very difficult life. It would be a life of begging for food and begging for, again, just scraps to be able to live on. But we find here that this man, again, had others who, who knew of him and others who knew Jesus was in town. And they knew that Jesus was the only one who could help their friend. Therefore, the Bible says that they bring a blind man unto him. Now, we don't know necessarily who the they are that is spoken of here. We don't know their names. don't know anything about them except for the fact that this man had others in his life who had compassion on him. This man had others in his life who knew that their friend had a desperate condition and that there was only one who could help them, help him, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, again, they went against the grain of society, uh, against the built-in prejudice against people with physical disabilities in, in, in this society in, in, in Bible times. And they decided to take this man to care for him and to show compassion to him by bringing him to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says here in verse 22, uh, they, they bring a blind man unto him, that is Christ, and besought him to touch him. All right, so very similar to what we read with, again, the man who was deaf. All right, they came to Christ. They besought Christ. They entreated Christ. They, they pleaded with Christ. They prayed to Christ, uh, again, to heal their friend. I think the application for us is, is clear in this text as it was you know, as we looked at in, in Mark chapter number seven, you know, we all have relationships with people that are lost. Again, maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. Again, maybe it's somebody you went to school with. Maybe it's, uh, again, somebody you know through just various situations of life. Again, maybe it's uh, again, somebody that, that you uh, can see on a regular basis when you go to the store and they, they check out your groceries or, or whatever. Again, but we all know people in our life that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. That have never received Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior. Again, and we like these men, again, we ought to look upon them with a sense of compassion. We can't save them. We can't change their heart. We can't forgive them of their sin. As much as we would love to see them saved, again, there's only so much we can do. 
But there are two things we can do. Number one, we can point them to Jesus Christ. We can teach them about Jesus. Again, we can share with them from the word of God the greatest news on earth, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we can open up our mouths and we can, we can love them enough to share with them the only truth that can set them free. And that is the truth of the gospel. You may be a people in your life that you have shared the gospel with. And you say, again, they, they're not interested. Again, I've shared the gospel maybe once, twice, three, maybe more times than that. And they have no interest in the gospel. Again, well, beyond that, again, obviously, uh, again, you, you can continue to share the gospel with them. But even beyond that, you can pray for them. And just as these men came to Christ, they, they, they brought him, they brought their friend to the only one that could help them, but they also besought Christ to heal him. And in a similar fashion, when we have those in our lives that won't hear the gospel, again, they, they don't want to hear it. Again, they, they, they don't want, they don't want uh, you talking about Jesus Christ around them. There's one thing that you can do that they can't stop, and that is pray for them. Again, will you pray for them? Again, will you pray that God would touch their lives? Again, will you pray that God would open their eyes to the truth? Will you pray that God would soften their hearts? That God would convict them of sin? That God would show them their need of salvation? Matthew Henry said this. He says, if those that are spiritually blind do not pray for themselves, yet let their friends and relations pray for them, that Christ would be pleased to touch them. And if they're not willing to pray for themselves, if they're not willing to seek Christ for themselves, again, if they're not willing to even hear the gospel from us, the least we can do is pray for them. And that's not a small thing. That is a great thing. And God is a miracle-working God. And one of the greatest miracles God can do is change a person's heart. Again, bring, again is, 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 is give a person this gift of salvation and make them a new creature in Christ. We see the compassion of others. We also see the condition of this man. And this man was blind. Again, this was a, a common infirmity in the days of Christ. There were, like I said earlier, there were other occasions where Christ healed uh, blind people. So again, this was not out of the ordinary. Christ had come to restore sight to those that were blind uh, physically, but I believe even beyond that, spiritually too, in the sense of in the sense of salvation. And yet Jesus had compassion again on people like this. Jesus had compassion on those that were often ostracized, those that were overlooked by society, and those that were looked down upon by others, and those that didn't receive compassion from others. Jesus, again, was glad to show compassion. Again, Jesus went out, of it, went out of his way to show compassion and love to, to men like this. And I also believe we have here a picture, again, in this man's physical state of blindness, of the spiritual state of mankind apart from God. And mankind's greatest need, again, is salvation. It is, to have, it is to have his eyes open to the truth of the gospel. Because the Bible makes it clear that apart from Jesus Christ, apart from the new birth, apart from saving faith in Christ and Christ alone, again, a person remains in spiritual darkness. They remain spiritually blind to the truth of God's word. Ephesians 4.18 says this, it speaks of the natural state of man apart from God. It says, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Again, consider that when you're witnessing to people. Consider that again, their, their, their mind is darkened from the truth. Their eyes are blinded to the truth, and they need a miracle of God within their life. 
They need the gospel, which alone can enlighten their eyes and, and open their eyes to the truth. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, the Bible says, In whom the God of this world, speaking of Satan, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. That's one of the goals of Satan, is to keep people in spiritual blindness. Is to keep people in spiritual darkness. And he succeeded many times. And the God of this world, against Satan, he has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Notice here, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And Satan's goal is to keep the blinders upon people's heart. And you go witness to people, and sometimes... You know, you go out and you're excited about the gospel. I mean, it's the gospel that has changed your life. And, I mean, who wouldn't want everlasting life, right? Again, on top of that, it's a free gift. I mean, who wouldn't want everlasting life and forgiveness from sins? Again, who wouldn't want, again, all the blessings that come with the gospel? But then you go to people and you share the gospel with them, and they're uninterested. They don't want to hear about it. And they get angry at you. Again, they, 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 they have some excuse about why they don't need Jesus or why they don't need the gospel. Again, they're trying to get to God. Again, they, they don't want a free gift of salvation. They would rather, again, keep their false religion and try to work their way to God and hopefully uh, get to heaven based upon their own merit. And you talk to people and sometimes you're just like, why don't you understand? Why don't you get it? This is the greatest news for sinners. It doesn't get better than this. Again, but that is why we need to recognize, first of all, again, that their minds have been blinded by Satan. And that is why we need to preach the gospel far and wide. That is why the day will never come again until Christ takes us home or Christ comes to receive his church. Again, that we stop preaching the gospel. Again, next year, we're going to keep preaching the gospel. The year after that, we're going to keep preaching the gospel. Until Christ comes or Christ takes us home, we're going to preach the gospel. Because that is the only message, again, that is that God uses to open the eyes of the blind, to open their eyes to the truth, the reality of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Again, the Bible says in, in Acts 26, 18, Paul is speaking, uh, again, of, of, of his goal in ministry, and, and it is this. He says to open their eyes, that is the eyes of the lost. And to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. And that's the goal. Open their eyes. Turn them from darkness to light. From the power of Satan unto God. You know, one of the, I've, I've said this before, but one of the chief ways... Again, one of the greatest ways that Satan blinds people to the truth is through religion. Again, he uses religion. He uses false religion. He uses works-based systems of righteousness and salvation to keep the blinders on the hearts of mankind. That's exactly what he did with the Pharisees. I mean, the Pharisees thought that they were, again, God's, God's children. I mean, they, they thought that they were, again, that God was more pleased with them than anybody else. And they thought that they were close to God, that God was, God was honored by the worship, but they didn't know God. They may have thought they did, but they were far from God. They weren't anywhere close to God. They were religious, and they were regular in, their, in, in, in the mechanics of religion, 
but their hearts were far from God. Oh, they honored him with their lips, but again, their, their heart was nowhere close to him. So Jesus called the Pharisees blind leaders of the blind, Matthew 15, 14. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. That's exactly what, what false teachers do. You know, they're blind leaders of the blind. They, they, they find others who are deceived and they, 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 they blind them to the truth through their, through their deceptive teaching. Again, and they both fall into the ditch. And Satan uses false religion. He uses false religion to blind men to the truth of the gospel. He uses false churches. He uses false ministers, false preachers, false prophets to preach a false gospel and to preach a false Christ, which is not the Christ of the Bible, in order to keep the blinders on the hearts of people. The tragedy... And just like the Pharisees, as, is that when people reject the light of truth, they go deeper into spiritual darkness. Consider what the Bible says in Matthew 13, 15. It says, For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing. Their eyes have they closed, lest at any time they should see with their ear, eyes, and, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Again, Jesus is speaking about the unbelief, the unbelief of his day, the unbelievers of his day, especially the Pharisees. Again, he says they've closed their eyes. They've stopped up their ears. Again, if they would simply open their eyes and, again, open their ears to the truth, they could be converted and I would heal them and I would save them. You know, one of the greatest dangers is to hear the gospel of grace and to reject the gospel. And yet Satan, again, works overtime to keep people not just from simply not hearing the gospel, but from believing the gospel. Go back and read the parable, the parable of the sower. Again, you'll see that that's the case. Only one out of four, again, plots of land ended up taking the seed and bearing fruit, representing true salvation, true conversion. The other three didn't bring forth anything. Again, representing, again, those that, those that are not saved. But when people reject the light of truth, when people reject the gospel of grace and they say, I don't want to hear it, or they, or they, or they hear it again and again, and maybe, again, they're not, they're not again, angry about it, but maybe they're just indifferent about it. And what happens, whether they realize it or not, again, is they, is they continue down a path of greater spiritual darkness. The road gets darker and darker and darker. And it ultimately leads to outer darkness of hell that the Bible warns about. At the same time, we understand that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And God's desire is that all men should come to repentance. That all, all men may come to Christ and believe the gospel. You see, as long as men are alive, as long as men are breathing, there is hope. And there is a chance to be saved. There is an opportunity to be converted, to be saved by the grace of God. Let's continue on, though. We also see not only a desperate condition, but also a divine cure. Take a look at verse 23 down uh, to 25. The Bible says, And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. And he looked up and said, I see ministries walking. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up. And he was restored and saw every man clearly. We see a couple of things in these passages. First of all, we see the compassion of Jesus Christ. 
We see the compassion of Jesus Christ. Again, this is not anything that's new. We've seen this over and over and over again. Jesus was willing to take this man by the hand and lead him out of town. Again, a man like uh, others in Bible time, whether that's the deaf or whether that was lepers, again, those who are considered untouchables by society, Jesus was willing to come along and take this man by the hand and lead him out of town in order to heal him. But consider something else here as well. Consider the, the covertness of the miracle. And maybe you're wondering, why does he take him outside of town? Why not just do the miracle right then and there? I mean, Christ is in the town of Bethsaida. Again, he could easily just heal this man on the spot. This man receives his sight once again. Everything's good. He sends him on the way. Again, uh, Christ is glorified as a result. He, he could do that. But why does he intentionally take this man out of town? Again, everything Christ did was for a purpose. Everything Christ did was intentional. All right, so this isn't just, well, he, he, he didn't feel like it. No, there was, there was a purpose behind why Jesus took this man out of town. I mean, like I said, Jesus could have healed this man on the spot, but he chose not to. Well, take your Bibles, turn to Matthew 11, I believe. Matthew 11 helps, helps us understand possibly the reason why Christ took this man out of town instead of healing him in the town of Bethsaida. In Matthew 11... I want to read verse 20 down to verse 24. We see here some pretty strong words by Christ uh, pronouncing judgments upon certain cities. And notice, notice, what it said, notice what it said here in verse 20. It says, Then began he, that is Christ, to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not. All right? Woe unto thee, Therese, and woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto the, until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. So Jesus here, again, pronounces these judgments upon very specific cities, Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum. And why does Jesus specify these cities out of all the rest? Well, he makes it clear in verse number 20. Again, these were the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done, but they repented not. Can you imagine living in first century Israel, living in Capernaum, and being an eyewitness to the miracles of the Son of God? Can you imagine the privileges that this generation of people received to be able to, to, to physically see Christ and watch him and hear, his, hear him speak and see the mighty works that he did? Can you imagine the privileges? Can we recognize that with great privileges comes great responsibility? And so it was with these cities. These are the cities where Jesus did his, his, his greatest works. These were the cities that received the greatest amount of light, yet they rejected the light, including the city of Bethsaida. So it makes sense to us why Jesus would take this man outside of the town of Bethsaida in order to do this miracle. They were not worthy of another miracle. 
They had received enough light and they didn't repent because of that light. They had received enough miracles and yet they remained in unbelief. Again, they were not worthy of another miracle. And this is very similar to the response Jesus had to Nazareth. I mean, talk about another privileged town, the hometown of Jesus. Yet Jesus was not welcome in Nazareth. The people of Nazareth didn't want him around. And remember what Jesus said about Nazareth in Matthew 13, 58. He says, the Bible says, and he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Because they responded to Christ with hearts of unbelief, Jesus says, again, I'm not going to do any more mighty works there. I'm not going to give them any more light. I'm not going to give them any more miracles because of their unbelief. Because instead of responding by faith, and they, they reject the light that's been given. They reject the truth that's been given. They won't heed the way that I'm pointing them in. And therefore, they are not worthy of any more miracles, including the city of Bethsaida. So Jesus takes this man to a, to a private place. Jesus takes this man outside of town in order to do this miracle. And I think this is something that, you know, as, as Americans, again, we need to recognize you, know, you think of the Western world, especially England and, 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 and America, and you think of the, the light you know, that, that God has given to these nations. You go back and study you know, the history of England. You go back and study the history of America. And again, God has given great privileges to nations like ours. Again, God has given great light uh, to nations like ours. Again, these have been the places where many of the great awakenings of history have, have occurred or in these nations. Right? Where, where churches have flourished for years. Again, where, where, where Christianity, again, has spread and missionaries have been sent out of these countries. And again, you, you think of the light that our nation has received. Again, and do you not think that we're also just as guilty as, 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 as cities like Capernaum and Bethsaida? Again, nations that have received great light, yet we, we respond in unbelief. And do you think that somehow we're going to be excused as a nation from the judgment of God? Again, I don't think so. And I think we're already under the judgment of God. As a nation, I'm not going to read it this morning, but read Romans chapter one and you read what happens when a nation abandons God and rejects the light of God. Then God abandons that nation. All right. God turns that nation over to its own sin as a form of judgment. And again, the sin gets more perverse and more gross. And again, you read about that in Romans one. And, and again, it's, it's like the history of, of modern America being played out on the pages of Scripture. And that's what happens whenever people reject the light that has been given them and if god has given us light we need to recognize the privilege of that we need to receive that we need to again heed that we need to respond to that with hearts of faith and hearts of unbelief let's continue on though we also see the completeness of the cure now this miracle here is a is unique um, compared to other miracles if, if again if you're not there turn back to mark chapter 8 because of the fact that jesus chose to do this miracle in stages all right. Now, all the other miracles, again, they were they were instantaneous miracles, instantaneous healing. But for some reason, Jesus chose to do this in stages. And the Bible tells us here, Jesus. Uh, verse number 23, it says he took the blind man by hand, led him out of the town. When he had spit out on his eyes, put his hands upon him, he asked if he saw odd. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. All right, so again, Jesus again uh, 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 spits on his eyes. He puts his hand upon him, and the man's eyes were truly open. All right, his eyes were open, yet his vision wasn't clear. All right, his vision was out of focus. His vision was fuzzy. It was it was blurry. 
He was able to discern the shapes of things, but again, he could not discern, again, the, the specifics of what those shapes were. He did not have clear vision yet. Verse 25, after that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up, and he was restored and saw every man clearly. So we see here that now this man's sight is fully restored. I mean, it's, it's, it's perfect vision. It is clear vision. So why did Jesus, again, do it this way? Why did, why did he perform this miracle in stages? A couple of things to consider. First of all, recognize definitely this. Again, it is not because Christ was incapable of healing the man the first time. We, we know that. Christ could have merely spoken the word. Christ could have touched the man. Christ could have, again, merely thought the thought, and this man could have been instantaneously healed. So it's not that Christ couldn't heal him the first time. Jesus did everything for a purpose, including this right here. There's a reason behind this. There's a reason why Jesus, why, why this man's eyesight was gradually restored instead of instantaneously. So that's the first thing we need to consider. Secondly, and I believe that Jesus healed this man's physical eyesight gradually to teach his disciples a spiritual lesson. Remember, the disciples are with Christ. Right? And I believe Jesus is using this, 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 the healing of this man to teach, to not just show mercy to the blind man, but also to teach the disciples too. Consider the context. Remember what we talked about last week. Jesus, again, had, had to rebuke the disciples. I, the, the disciples, I mean, they're not, they're not getting it. Their, their spiritual perception is very low at this point. They have a lot of room that they need to grow in. All right, a lot of areas where they need to mature in, where their where their spiritual vision needs to become clearer. Again, they, they could remember Jesus was was warning them about the leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of Herod. He was trying to teach them a spiritual truth, yet they they completely missed the point. Again, they, they totally missed what Jesus was trying to tell them. They, they didn't understand. They couldn't perceive the spiritual lesson that Jesus was trying to get across to them. Now, also recognize here that. That other than Judas Iscariot, these were saved men. Okay, these were saved men, yet they still, as saved men, they still lacked spiritual understanding. They still lacked spiritual perception. There was a lot of room that they needed to grow within their life. Again, we, we see that in the previous incident. So again, consider it in context. Consider the fact that the spiritual state of the disciples mirror the physical state of the man in verse 24. Okay, come back to Mark 8, verse number 24. It says, the man looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. And I believe what, is, what Jesus is teaching them here is their current spiritual state is like where this man is in verse 24. His eyes are truly opened, but his vision is blurry. He can't see clearly. His eyes are truly open, yes, but his perception is off. And he can't see things like he should. And the same thing with the disciples. They were truly saved, yet they had a lot of room to grow. Their eyes had truly been open to the truth, yet they lacked spiritual perception and spiritual understanding. Their faith was genuine but shallow. And they, they were say that they were that they were still spiritual infants. Now, before Christ, the disciples were like the man back in verse 22. 
Before they knew Christ, they were totally blind. All right? before, before they knew Jesus, they were blinded by sin. They were blinded by false religion. But when they came to Christ, Christ opened their, opened their eyes spiritually. Yet, now that they're saved, what is Christ trying to do? Christ is trying to mold them. Christ is trying to teach them to become like the man we read of in verse 25, which says, After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes, made him look up, and he was restored and saw every man clearly. The disciples, their, their spiritual perception is, is, is fuzzy. It's blurry. Right? Their eyes are truly open to the truth, and they have a lot of room to grow. Jesus wants them to be like the man in verse 25, with clear spiritual perception and focus and discernment. That is where Jesus wants them. Jesus wants them to grow, and Jesus will train them and help them to grow, as we'll see over the next couple of weeks. I believe what we have here is, a, is really a, a picture, not just of the disciples, but of every, of every person that gets saved. You know, we're like the man in, in verse number 22 before we know Jesus Christ. Before we get saved, again, we are, our eyes are darkened. Our eyes are close to the truth. Our ears are stopped up. All right, again, we, we don't perceive the things of God. The, the spiritual things of God are foolishness to us before salvation. And we're lost and we're deceived and we're, we're alienated from God and we are under the condemnation of God. Yet when we get saved, our eyes are truly open to the truth of the gospel. We receive that truth with a childlike faith. We're truly brought into the family of God. But the Bible describes us as spiritual infants. We're like the man in verse number 24. Our eyes are opened, but our vision is a blurry. Our vision is out of focus. And we need to grow. Our eyes need to become more, more focused more clear in his perception. You know, we, we understand the gospel enough to be saved, yet there's so much about the Christian life that we don't understand. There's a lot of growth that needs to happen. There's a lot of maturity that needs to happen within our lives. God doesn't want us to stay, again, as, as spiritual infants feeding upon the milk of the word. He wants us to grow into, into full, full-age Christians, again, feeding upon the meat of the word of God. And that's what happens as we grow in Christ. Hebrews 5.14 says we have our senses exercised to discern both good and evil. We go from milk to meat, or at least we should. If somebody's been saved for a long period of time, they shouldn't still be, again, they, they shouldn't still be a spiritual infant. Or they should go beyond milk and be able to discern and, and digest the meat of the word of God. We go from babies in Christ to being fully mature, full-age Christians. We go from being easily misled with every wind of doctrine to being anchored in the truth of God's word and having discernment and having understanding of the word, understanding of the times and the ability to apply the word to the times in which we live. And our eyesight becomes more clear from fuzzy to spiritually focused. Consider this quote by a preacher of years gone by, J.C. Ryle, and he says this. He says, conversion is an illumination. A change from darkness to light, from blindness to seeing the kingdom of God. Yet few converted people see things distinctly at first. The nature and proportion of doctrines, practices, and ordinances of the gospel are dimly seen by them and are imperfectly understood. They are like the man before us who at first saw ministries walking. Their vision is dazzled and unaccustomed to the new world into which they have been introduced. 
is not till the work of the Spirit has become deeper and their experience has somewhat matured that they see all things clearly and give to each part of religion its proper place. This is the history of thousands of God's children. They begin with seeing men as trees walking. They end with seeing all clearly. Happy is he who has learned this lesson well and is humble and distrustful of his own judgment. So we see here a picture of what happens when we get saved. Again, we're we're like the man in verse number 24. Our eyes are open, but we see ministries walking. Christ wants us to be the man in verse 25 with clear, focused vision, clear spiritual eyesight, discernment, maturity. Again, strength in the Christian walk. Again, being being anchored to the truth of the word of God and not being tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. That is where God wants us to be. Let's continue on, though. We also see a deliberate command in verse 26. And we read after this miracle, it says, And he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town nor tell it to any in the town. That's a, that's a unique command. Right, Jesus tells us, after we get saved, he tells us to go. He tells us to go and tell. He tells us to go to our neighbors and our friends and our family members and to tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the greatest news. It's the best news. Don't hide your light away. Shine your light abroad. And be a light in the world. Share the gospel with others. Preach to every creature, to the ends of the earth. Yet notice what Jesus tells this man here. And Jesus deliberately told this man, don't go back into Bethsaida. Don't go back into town and spread this news. Don't go back and tell the townspeople again what has happened to you. Now that's surprising. But if you remember back to what we talked about earlier, it makes sense. All right, the people of Bethsaida had been given much light. They had been given much truth. Yet because they refused to repent, because they refused to believe on Jesus Christ, Jesus would not give them any more light or any more miracles. Therefore, again, again even, even in the case of this man right here. And we find here that this is a confirmation of God's judgment. And that was upon the town of Bethsaida. They had received more light than, than most cities in the world will ever receive. They had the very person of Christ in their midst. Yet because they rejected the light, and Christ would not shine any more light. Again, until they received the light that they had received. Until they did repent. They had enough light to believe. They had enough truth to believe. Yet they remained in their unbelief. They, they, they remained in their unrepentant state. Matthew Henry says this. He says, slighting Christ's favors is forfeiting them. Bethsaida, in the day of her visitation, would not know the things that belong to her peace. And now they are hid from her eyes. They will not see, therefore they shall not see. And I like the way he words that. When you slight the favors of Christ, you forfeit, you forfeit the favors of Christ. All right, whenever, you, whenever you slight the things of God, ultimately you forfeit the things of God. And when you will not see... You shall not see. Now, again, I believe that as long as a person again, is alive, that again, he, is a, he, he, can, he can repent. At the same time, though, can you see that when people reject the light, reject the truth, can they go further into spiritual darkness? And their heart becomes harder and more callous towards the truth of the word of God. It's a, it's a very dangerous path to be on. It is the danger of persistently rejecting Jesus. 
the danger of persistently rejecting the gospel. Christ will move to the next town. Christ will go to the other to the other side of the world. You know, Christ will go to the neighbor down the street. Again, if, if when he visits you, again, you don't you don't perceive the life that he has given you. You don't receive the truth that he has given you. In closing this morning, I have a couple of questions. Number one, again, where, where do you stand before God today? And are, are you persistent in unbelief? Maybe you've heard the gospel many times, and maybe you've heard it again and again and again, and you could you could go tell anybody what the gospel is because you know you know what the gospel is, you know what the doctrines of the word of God God are, you know what uh, who, who Jesus is. Again, you you know you know the truth of the word of God, yet you persistently refuse to believe it. Again, consider the end of Bethsaida. Consider the judgment that came upon Bethsaida, and ultimately that led to the, their, their eternal judgment. Again, because of the rejection against Christ, of Christ. And maybe you're here today, and again, you say, well, I've never believed the gospel, but again, God is working on my heart. And God is convicting me of sin. God is drawing me to himself. And my question for you is, why wait? The Bible says today is the day of salvation. And don't wait till tomorrow. Tomorrow is the devil's day. All right? Satan will love for somebody to procrastinate and say, one day I'll get right with God. One day I'll get saved. You know, one day I'll make things right. And they keep kicking the cane down the road. And again, before you know it, again, their, their life is extinguished. Their life is over. Again, they haven't received the light in their day of visitation. I want to read. We've, we've never sung this song before, but I... And I was, as I was marking the hymnal with where, what we're going to sing, and just a little bit we'll sing Just As I Am, but the, the song before it says, Why do you wait? Why do you wait, dear brother? Why do you tarry so long? Your Savior is waiting to give you a place in his sanctified throne. Why do you hope, dear brother, to gain a fur, by a further delay? There's no one to save you but Jesus. There's no other way but his way. Do you not feel, dear brother, his spirit now striving within why not accept his salvation and throw off your burden of sin? Why do you wait, dear brother? The harvest is passing away. Your Savior is longing to bless you. There's danger and death in delay. It's a very dangerous thing, again, to hear the gospel, not receive the gospel. But maybe you're here today and you say, again, I know I'm saved. My eyes have been opened to the gospel. There's been a time in my life when I have truly repented and received the gospel of the grace of God. And again, God has changed my life. And again, that, that's evident again, as, as I live out my Christian life. But I'm lacking in spiritual perception. You know, the disciples, as they are right now in the Gospels, they remind me of myself. You know, I, I don't perceive the spiritual truth as I ought to. You know, I, I say the wrong thing at the same time. I, I find myself falling flat on my face spiritually you know, from time to time. You know, don't, don't, don't lose heart if that's the case. Jesus was patient with his disciples. Yeah, there were times he had to rebuke his disciples, just like we saw last week. There were times when it, it, it baffled the mind of Christ, why they couldn't understand. But Jesus was patient with them. And Jesus, again, knew that these disciples were like sheep. Right? They needed to be led. They needed to be guided into the truth patiently. And Jesus did just that. He taught them, and he put them in situations to grow and he brought them into storms to teach them various lessons. And Jesus grew them, and he, he sanctified them, and he, again, he, he, he opened their eyes to the truth even further. You know, and there's many people, you know, who get saved, and, you know, may, maybe they, 
Again, maybe they're like the disciples we're reading about here in Mark 7, Mark chapter number 8. Again, they're saved, but they lack spiritual perception. Well, let me encourage you again, to stay close to Christ, to stay in the word, to stay in fellowship again, with Christ and again with, with the body of Christ. To, to continue in prayer. Again, to cultivate that communion with your Savior. And then over the years, again, you'll be able to look back upon your life and see how that God grew you. God matured you. God sanctified you. And you'll realize that it's not because of anything you did. You can't take any credit for it. But it's all because of Jesus Christ. And how he has led and how he has, again, guided you throughout your life. And that's the way it should be for all of us. You know, five years down the road, we should all be closer to Christ than we were today. As you look back upon your life five years ago, you should say, I'm closer to Christ today than I was five years ago. You, know, you shouldn't be, again, you shouldn't, you shouldn't uh, feel as if you're, you're getting further from Christ. Again, that's a bad sign. You should be growing closer to him. You should be growing in maturity. You should be growing, again, with, with, in, in, in discernment and in wisdom. I think one of the greatest needs you know, in our day and age, especially with our, our media-saturated society, is discernment. You know, we, we must be people who have discernment. And the way we are discerning is by knowing the word of God and being in the word of God. It is so easy, you know, especially in our day and age, to be misled spiritually. And there's so much danger in the world. I mean, any false teacher can have a YouTube channel. You know, any, any false teacher can, can have any blog or write any, anything and post it for the world to see on social media. You can test everything by the word of God. Prove all things. And we must be a church that, uh, again, where, where we are truly Bereans, testing all things we hear. Even what I say, you know, testing, testing all things we hear by the word of God. This is our authority. The word of God is our authority. And we must learn to test the spirits, to prove all things, and hold fast to that which is good. I was going to close with a word of prayer. Father, we come before you, Lord. And God, I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity you've given just to open up your word once again. And Lord, to be able to preach it, God, and I pray that you would take the truth we have heard this morning and just apply it to hearts. Father, I do pray, Lord, that you would just work in hearts and lives. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today and they've never been truly saved by the grace of God, they've never truly come to a place of repentance and, and faith in Jesus Christ. God, I pray that today would be that day, Lord. Maybe they've heard the gospel many times. Or but maybe they've never truly been saved. I pray today be the day of salvation. God, I pray for believers here today. God, I pray for their growth. I pray for their sanctification. God, I pray for their growth in wisdom and discernment and holiness and Christ-likeness. And Father God, I, I thank you, Lord, for your patience with us. God, I thank you, Lord, that Lord that you are long-suffering with us, God. But I pray that we would not presume upon that and use that as an excuse, Lord, to stay where we are. But I pray, God, that we would we would praise you for that, Lord, and that we would uh, persevere, and that we would, uh, Lord, pursue greater holiness and a greater walk with you, Lord, a closer walk with you. Lord, just bless this service. Have your will and way. In our response to your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.